was December 9, 2022. And um, I am at 8.07 a.m. on the West Coast. You on the East Coast are at 11.07 a.m. If you're watching live, good morning, good almost afternoon. Um, the morning Marin is unable to join us today because he's doing grand rounds um, with uh, my belly at LSU and uh, he had a scheduling conflict. So next Friday, I'm going to be podcasting with both Steve Amon and Marty Marin and we're going to do a year end wrap up. It was a big year in hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. So there's a lot for us to discuss next week, but I figured I would come on here for a few minutes this morning and give you some updates and let you know a little bit about why I'm in California and what's percolating out here. Let me give you a little update on why podcasting has been a little bit touch and go in terms of her scheduling. The fall is traditionally a really busy time in cardiology for conferences and events. So American Heart Association conference is always in the beginning of November. October is always filled with lots of content for grand rounds and, and events, uh, sudden cardiac arrest awareness month. So there's a lot of attention being put on that aspect of HCM in October. Um, and this October, we went to Sweden to help launch that program. Um, hi, Swedish friends. Um, and that was fantastic. So uh, we've been site visits. Um, I did that in a uh, site visit and I podcasted from there back in um in October, um, and when last week, my podcast uh, partner, her heat went off, um, real life problems for real people, because that's who I talk to. Um, so next week, we're going to have two podcasts, potentially three. Um, we're going to be meeting with Rosemary Gibson, the author of um, China Rx, and a lot of other expose type books on the generic drug problem. And uh, then again, we'll, we'll have Marty and Steve, uh, Marty Marion and Steve Amen on Friday. Um, and I'm going to ask them to do a little bit of a wrap up. Um, the theme of our month for December is, is gratitude and also um, acknowledging grieving and loss. So I'm going to take a few minutes on each of those topics this morning and just have a little chat with you. And um, hopefully... Um, we can have a little bit of a dialogue. If you have any questions or comments, please put them in the in the feed. So first off, let's start. Let's start with the gratitude part. We have a lot to be grateful for this year in terms of where we are in HCM management, where HCM is in the national discussion, at least within cardiology right now. Maybe we can broaden it beyond that in the coming in the coming years. But 26, 27 years ago, we were nowhere where we are, like where we are today. <laughs> people didn't know what hypertrophic cardiomyopathy was. In fact, most people still called it IHSS, idiopathic hypertrophic subaortic stenosis. Thankfully, we have a shorter name now, even though hypertrophic cardiomyopathy is a little difficult to pronounce. HCM is real easy. I think we can be grateful for raised awareness. We still have a lot more room to grow. So there's no lack of opportunity there. Number two, we have our first ever labeled indication drug on the market. And many of you are being dosed on it now. It's not going to be perfect for everybody. But for those, it does provide symptomatic relief. That's something to be grateful for. Discovery doesn't stop with that one agent. Other properties are under investigation right now in the myosin inhibitor space and in other spaces, 
to figure out ways for the heart to better use energy and for the myosins to relax and to potentially, and I'll talk about this in a second, normalize um, the genetic mutation and correct it. There's just so much on the horizon, which is really wonderful and a little scary at the same time. For those of you who have not been around hypertrophic cardiomyopathy for a long period of time, or for those of you who've been asymptomatic for a long time and are now just coming into evaluating therapies, let me give you a little historic perspective. Back in the 80s when I was diagnosed, it was beta blockers, calcium channel blockers, that was it. There were some trials in calcium channel blockers back then. They weren't specific to HCM, but we were included in some of the studies. And then there was nothing for a really long time. And then there was this concept that was dreamed up, I'll say, by an individual who thought dual chamber pacing, if you could just force the electrical system you know, to work in a certain way, the muscle would acquiesce and, and ta-da, everybody was going to be cured. In fact, it even made, it made some of the um, early 90s television drama series as, oh God, what was it? Chicago Hope. Okay, anybody remember Chicago Hope? I'm dating myself. Chicago Hope had a patient come in to the emergency room, a young girl, um, and Mandy Patinkin, I think it was the, the doctor, diagnosed her with HCM and said, oh, we, we just treat those with pacemakers now. She'll be fine. And I can remember I was falling off my couch going, that's not how it works. Even back then, it was pre-HCMA days. So um, dual chamber pacing came and went. We thought it was going to work. I was a patient in that trial. Um, it didn't work. It did not improve symptoms. It did not cure obstruction. It did not normalize the heart muscle. So there was a lot of enthusiasm about it and then a lot of nothing. The next thing that hit the, the field was alcohol septal ablation. It's going to be the cure for everybody with obstruction and everybody should get an alcohol ablation. And it was overused and people were hurt and people had three and four and even five alcohol septal ablations done. And they have these huge scars in their heart now. We have refined alcohol ablation and made it part of the toolkit, but it's got its very small space as to where it's got utility. So it wasn't the panacea for everybody. And unfortunately, both in the dual chamber pacing time and in the alcohol ablation early study time, a lot of people were harmed and hurt in this. And that makes us you know, really cautious about where we're going to go in the future. So those stories percolated for a while. And then you know, during, in that interim time, like while alcohol ablation was coming up, ICD therapy was coming up into the HCM community. And I think we got uh, our first code from CMS, I think in 1998 or 1999, that ICDs were appropriate and would be paid for to be used in hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. So that was a good advance. And a lot of people have benefited from ICDs, yeah, ICDs. And then things kind of got quiet for a while in terms of discovery and new things. And we, and we tweaked things. We understood HCM better. We dug deeper into the anatomy and the science and the why and the genetics. And then we started doing genetic testing. But other than family screening, there wasn't much you could do with the results. And here we are today. Um, and you look back to 2014, and that's when... Myocardia was formed. Myosin inhibitor concept was organized into a company. It was an incredibly expensive endeavor. 
people are really, um, people in the biotech and the regulatory field are very cautious about providing therapies to the heart because it could go so wrong and it's your heart and you kind of need that. So they're a little extra protective over our heart trials, I, I believe, um, from my experience. And that's good. We want them to be careful. We want them to be cautious. Um, so this was a big, big ask to start talking about changing the heart muscle and how it functions. And the team at Myocardia did a phenomenal job of bringing the science to the forefront and, and creating some great clinical trials. And then they, you know, got bought out. But while that was being developed, cytokinetics was developing a, an alternative myosin inhibitor, which is still in development right now. So we have these two companies working on amazing therapeutic advances with myosin inhibitors. They're available now to the obstructed population. They will hopefully soon be available in a clinical trial to the non-obstructed population, either through a trial through BMS, Bristol-Myers Squibb, or Cytokinetics. New companies are coming on board with slightly different variation. I'm not allowed to speak about it right now, of these mechanisms. So additional, you know, genet or I'm sorry, additional therapeutic, like all molecules, so drugs are being developed by other companies right now. You're going to start learning their names in the next year or so. So we have a lot to be grateful for. People give a damn. There's money being invested in finding ways to make us feel better. That comes with a little bit of a responsibility from us, the community. And that is we have to participate in clinical trials. We have to participate with scientists to ensure that what they're developing is, is hitting the targets and what we we organizationally and we, the patient community, need to do is help industry, help academia, and help the FDA develop clinical trial endpoints that really speak to our burden of disease. So I, I could go off for like three hours on this topic. I've been spending a lot of time on it lately. How they judge the success of a clinical trial doesn't always work for HCM. It's, it was created, most of these endpoints were created for generalized heart failure, not hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And we don't really see ourselves as heart failure patients. We're HCM patients. Even though HCM is a form of heart failure, it's not congestive heart failure. We, we have a different grouping of, of symptoms. So we need to work together and you're going to be learning about new opportunities through the HCMA and others to help participate in understanding how we can best measure success. You know, I think success would be the good day, bad day thing would balance out and we'd have just average days, not that roller coaster because you can't predict what you can do with your life. If you're not sure if you're going to get off the couch next Thursday, because you know, Monday and Tuesday, you have busy days and Wednesday might not be so good. So Thursday, will you be able to do anything because you may not have the energy? That's kind of how HCM patients work. They're a little variable in their symptomology. So if we could find some good triggers to prove continuity of symptom-free days, that would be amazing if we could come up with biomarkers, wearable data that proves the point that we're feeling better, that we're doing better beyond measuring New York Heart Association class. Okay, so how many of you have walked into a doctor's office having a great day and they say, how far can you walk today? You know, I could walk forever. Do you have any symptoms? No, I don't have any symptoms. So they mark you down as New York Heart Association class one because you're fine that day. 
Three weeks later, you go into the office. Oh, I'm so short of breath. It was really hard to walk here from the car. I had to stop twice. I had a little chest pain yesterday. Oh, you're in your card association class three today. You typically, when you're in a New York card association class, you kind of stay there. But in HCM, you bounce around. And I presented that information last weekend in Washington, D.C. at the uh, CVCT meeting, which is a meeting of clinical trialists. And I said, you know, we need better. So we need to band together with industry, with patients, with clinicians to come up with better endpoints. But why am I talking about that when I'm talking about gratitude? It's really good to have that conversation because it means there's more clinical trials coming down the pike where we want better, more specific endpoints so that we can really prove when a drug is worth the effort to continue to develop, it's worth the price tag. We need to prove these things. So I'm grateful for the opportunity to have a big problem to solve. And I'm looking forward to working with all of you to help solve that problem. Now let's talk about genetics. Oh my, if you told me five years ago that they would be ready to potentially dose patients with genetic therapies to correct the mutation in hypertrophic cardiomyopathy before 2025, I would have said, oh, nice thought, but it's not going to happen. Earlier this week, I visited a production facility where these genetic corrections are being manufactured. It was an awesome, I couldn't take pictures, it's proprietary, but it was an awesome, awesome facility. Um, The amount of care and diligence um, in the creation of these clean rooms to create these amazing potential therapeutics, you know, there have been over 5,000 patients in the United States who have received a genetic therapy. The concept works. Will it work in hypertrophic cardiomyopathy? We have to do the trials to prove that it does. There'll be small trials. Um, they're starting, there's two different companies working on this. They're starting with myosin binding protein C mutations. It's the easiest target. Once they get that done, maybe they will move on to other genes. And there's another company working on troponin mutation corrections. It it's mind-boggling. It's exciting. It's I'm grateful that we're here having these conversations. Will it be for everybody? No. But it will be for families who have had generations of disability, death, stroke, heart failure, all the bad stuff that comes with HCM. It's going to be for them first. If it works and we get the sickest families with the you know most significant disease consequences manage, then it may become more mainstream. And imagine if you get diagnosed with HCM and they say, okay, well, based on your genetic information, we can normalize the heart muscle and we can give you the protein that you're missing that's making your heart not work well. And uh, in a couple of months or a year later, you may not have any detectable HCM anymore. That's not passed down to next generation because it is cardiac specific. So if you get it done and you have a child, that child still has a chance of having the gene, but then they would have the opportunity for the therapy as well. That's mind boggling. It's exciting. It's it's happening. So I was meeting with Tanaya Therapeutics while I was out here in San Francisco. It's really early for me, sorry. And we have some synergistic energy. Um, They want to provide genetic therapies and we want patients with HCM to not have burden of disease. Kind of works for both of us, right? 
So we're going to be working with them on raising awareness and doing some disease education and helping get everybody in the HCM community educated on what genetic therapies are and are developing out to be. You know, I'm a science geek. I want you guys to understand the science and maybe some of you will be interested in joining a clinical trial and being one of those early adopters. It's going to be going to be a lot. We're going to, we'll talk more about that next year as to what's going to be needed to be done, but it's awfully nice to have the opportunity to have the discussion. So today I'm going over to Cytokinetics to meet with their team. We'll be working with them on some recruitment efforts towards some of their trials. I was with Crystal Myers Squibb yesterday talking about, I had some really great conversations, like beyond what we're already doing, what could we do? What do you need as a community? Okay. My AFib community my HCM with atrial fibrillation community. We had a really long talk about you yesterday. My ask to them, you know, they have labs, they have scientists, they have big budgets. Find us an HCM AFib specific therapeutic. The left atrial wall in HCM is just non-compliant in some people and it just becomes so burdensome atrial fibrillation on top of a stiff thick ventricle it's a bad cascade and it just makes people miserable we don't want you to be miserable we want you to feel good and enjoy your life that was my ask to them they they asked me if i had any dreams and anything i wanted to see happen i want the afib community to be managed better that's my that's my hope for you for the holiday season that they take that back and have some major epiphany and can figure out something that'll work for you So I did that. I met with our team down at Stanford while I was here. We're going to be doing some programming with them in the next two years. We'll be back out on the West Coast, hopefully a little bit more often now that COVID's over. I had a little meeting with uh, a few of the local area people at UCSF on Tuesday. And some industry folks stopped by to that as well. So thanks for popping in. We're looking to get some volunteers. We talked about it last night in the Big Hard Warrior Tour for our Healthy Cardiac Monitoring Act initiative, a legislative initiative to ensure that all well-child examinations include a cardiac component and that we have standardized sports physicals for our student-athletes. If you want to join that, hit the volunteer button on the HCMA website and we can uh, sign you up as a volunteer. So I was talking to people out here about being on the ground uh, advocates on behalf of HCM Act and hopefully we can get some house visits and get people to get involved in the legislative process so that we can ensure families get identified and diagnosed. Beyond that, we're talking about some amazing artificial intelligence projects that are going on and use of wearables and technology to help track and understand patients and help detect the undiagnosed. There's going to be a lot of energy around that. Do not be surprised if in the next, let's see if I can estimate this, In the next nine to 10 months, you're going to see commercials on TV talking about detection for underlying cardiac abnormalities in in wearable devices. They're going to be upgrading to devices that might actually be able to detect left ventricular hypertrophy or diastolic dysfunction um, in wearable devices. These things are being developed in real time and they're being presented or will be presented to the FDA for clearance. So we're going to be able to identify more people. So that's going on. I'm going to pivot. I've had a big week. 
<laughs> I haven't had a minute to do anything but be in meetings, eat or sleep. That is it. There's been nothing else going on. No exercising, no nothing. So I want to take a minute to talk about the other theme of the month. And that is the grieving and loss acknowledgement. The holiday time is hard for everybody who's experienced a loss because there's there's no way, and it doesn't matter whether your loss is due to HCM or not. There's no way that a holiday doesn't come around, no matter what the holiday is that you celebrate. If it's New Year's, if it's Kwanzaa, if it's Hanukkah, if it's Christmas. You had a family tradition and somebody may be missing from the table. Um, a friend may be missing, a, a spouse, a parent, a child, a sibling. And it's bittersweet to go through the holidays. You want to make new memories, but the old ones are there. And you miss those people who used to be around the table. And it doesn't go away. It changes year to year. And you still smile, but there's a part of you that misses that person that's not there. And I want to take a moment to acknowledge that and say, I see you. I am you. I get it. Um, I'm coming up in two days on the anniversary of my mother's passing. It'll be eight years. And I'm coming up on the 27th Christmas without my sister, which actually means starting this year, I will have lived longer without her than with her, which is a strange, strange tipping point. <clears throat> so anniversaries hurt. Memories are wonderful and painful at the same time. So as you go through the holiday season and you have those moments where you're you're grieving, remember it's a process. It's not a destination. We all do it in our own way. Don't let somebody judge the way you grieve. Grieve your grief. Um, it's healthy. Let yourself cry. Let yourself be angry for a moment. But then please try to remember that, and I know it sounds like a corny saying, but to me, it makes sense. Grief is the price we pay for love. So if you love them, you grieve them. And it gets easier, I think. Um, although some years I think I backslide a little bit, but try to enjoy the holidays. Look at those little faces around you if you've got some new ones around the table like we do and think about all the promise that's in the future. I know it's rough lately and I know there's just a lot of tension in the world, hoping that some of it's calming down. I'm hoping that we as fellow inhabitants of this rock that we're floating around on, understand that we have a lot more in common than separates us. Um, and while we may view the world a little bit differently, we all have emotions, feelings, we get hurt, we have loss, we have successes. So let's celebrate each other. Let's help each other grieve. Let's be kind. And let's remember life is hard enough, but life with HCM has that little extra zing to it, right? A little, little more pain. Got some comments popping in here. You're welcome, Ross. Thank you, Jewel. Um, if you have any questions, I'm more than happy to answer them. So 
that was my what I did in California. That was a little bit of my uh, focus on on grief. If you want to join an online discussion group and and you need some help over the holiday season, you know, jump on in. Our team tries to take a little bit of time off this time of year. So if you don't see a group available when you need one, call the office. We're there to talk. Can help you. Don't ever feel like you don't have some support for you from your HCM community. I do want to talk to you about a new project. I'm a little excited about it. I can't give you the exact details yet, but I've got a lot of stuff like in process. Next year, you're going to just start seeing things dropping and you're like, where did that come from? And that's what Lisa was working on all fall. So number one, we're working on a new automated system so that when you, um, many of you have asked me over the years after we do an intake and navigation call with you, could you send me all that information? Like, and everything I we do together is so individualized. I don't have the labor and the time to, to write down everything that we talk about. And I, I hope people take notes or record the calls, but we're going to create, create a system that will trigger the key items that we've discussed. And it'll send you to a website or an app, your choice on how you want to open it. And it'll have the follow-up information and kind of some of the messaging that we talked about. Example, let's say you call us up and you'd never had a cardiac MRI before. And you're like, well, why do I need one? So we'll send you a little, okay, you've not had an MRI. Here's what you need to know about what an MRI is, why we use them in HCM, what we do with the information we derive from that test, what questions you need to ask your doctor to make sure that you get the right MRI ordered, how to find a center of excellence to help you get that MRI done properly, and then how to find support for going through the process as well as a link to the Lori Fund, which could provide you with travel assistance if you're financially um, eligible. So we're going to kind of automate that system just to make it a little bit easier of a delivery system directly to you. So hopefully we'll have that project ready for you second quarter next year, maybe, maybe sooner. We'll see. At least maybe some of it might be ready. We're working on um, HCM Awareness Day. When I get back to the office, my team who's watching, we are getting that curriculum all set down in stone and we're going to start marketing it. Um, we'll be having an online event, probably two different online events, one midday, one early evening. Last year, I went all day long with televising people. It was like nine hours of live Zoom. That was a little much. So we're going to package it a little different this year, but we're going to do a legislative briefing. We've got some announcements coming about some new projects, like maybe a new book, things like that. We'll have some timelines for you. We'll be hearing from industry. You'll be hearing from doctors. You'll be hearing from patients. We are going to be doing the um, Hero of the Day again for the month of February. So if you've not already applied to the Share Your Story system, you can do that on the website and Julie can do a, a volunteer intake and, and get your story written up. All of those of you who have participated and share your story, thank you, thank you, thank you. We now are working on finishing up our 50 states of HCM stories, and we're going to be sharing those through the month of February as well. So much going on. So many opportunities for roundtables, focus groups, discussion groups with industry. We're going to be working to, to pepper those with patient experiences. We don't want them marketing to us. We want to help them understand us so they can find other people like us, right? That's kind of the goal here. So there's exciting things happening. So that's what I've got going on here. What did I not cover today? I'm, I'm doing this literally. 
I'm riffing people. I have no notes. I have nothing today. We did what I did out here. Marty and Steve will be with me next week. Rosemary will be with me next week. The HCM patient registry that we're putting together is nearing completion. So you're going to start getting communications from us via that system soon. So much happening. So much happening. Be careful what you wish for people. It may happen and it may happen all at once. So 25 years, you're saying, please would industry pay attention to hypertrophic cardiomyopathy? Please, can we have more centers? Please, can we have more identified patients? And it's all coming together at the same time. So in terms of centers of excellence, we have um, 16, 17 in process right now. And I had some meetings out here on ways to help programs get up to speed more efficiently and quicker. We've been working with some programs. It can take us sometimes 10 years to help a program evolve. There's reasons why that happens. And it's not that the doctor doesn't want to do it. There's just real life institutional issues and, and growth issues that, that we have to navigate. But I'm, I'm working towards working on a collaborative effort to provide a medically oversought like mentorship for, for the clinicians who are building up uh, so we can help them not only develop what they think are best practices, but learn from those who've already created such systems that are working quite well. So including bringing some of the pioneers of, of imaging and patient care to the younger generation in a more formalized way. So like an online fellowship type program. So we've got so many, we have no lack of fabulous ideas. We just need to find funding and staffing to actually make them all happen. So with that, I will say that we're coming to the end of the year. And if you're considering philanthropic giving, uh, the HCMA would be a grateful recipient of those funds. And we would put them more to work directly for this community. Um, we have a couple of pet projects that we can talk about if somebody's interested in maybe taking on a project for funding. And that's in the area of $20,000, to $60,000 donations. Um, I know that's not feasible for most people, but for some of you, it is. And if you have that type of resource and you want to um, donate stock to all, you know, offset capital gains, uh, we are happy to be a recipient of that as well. And that helps us do what we need to do. So a um, dollar helps, $10 helps. $10,000 helps. Big shout out to um, the McNamee Foundation, Elizabeth C. McNamee Foundation, uh, with their $10,000 uh, donation that they just made this month. The McNamees have been phenomenal supporters of the HCMA since 2000. And if it weren't for Maria and Frank McNamee and their wonderful family and friends in West Islip, Long Island, the early days of the HCMA would not have included an office or a computer and the really basic things that got us going. And every year when I get that check, I, I am so grateful for those people in my life. And um, I just want to acknowledge that it would have been Elizabeth's birthday right around now. And uh, her parents lost her a long time ago, but they kept commitment to, to the community to ensure no other family would suffer a loss like they lost. So Elizabeth, my dear, I wish that I had met you. And I thank you for having a phenomenal family who has become like family to me. So there's my little shout out to the McAfee family today. And on that note, I'm going to go off to some meetings. Um, I'm sorry, this was not the 
the engaged conversation that you hope to get with doctors every other week, but uh, they were a little busy today. So we will be here next week with an author and two doctors and maybe a third. So uh, we'll get a little bit more content in before the end of the year. And next year, Tales from the Heart, we'll have a slightly different format. So I'll talk about that for just a sec. Um, we'll be having more guests, more diverse guests. Hopefully every, I might podcast more than once a week, uh, depending upon the content and the speaker and their availability. Some of them may not be live. Some of them may be just dropped into social and um you know, available where you get your local podcast. So stay tuned for some changes there. So that will be Tales from the Heart season three. Seems crazy that I think I feel like I just started this during COVID, but uh, we've been doing it for a long time now. And I really enjoy having these conversations with you at least weekly. So on that note, I'm off to Southern California or Northern California to do a little bit more work. Um, I wish I could say I saw a lot in my trip. I did get into Union Square and took a couple pictures one night, but pretty much been conference rooms for me. So from the Hilton Gardens in South San Francisco, I wish you guys a great weekend and a special shout out to my little grand nephew, Xander, who will be christened this Sunday. So we love you, Xander. And in 20 years, maybe you'll see this and say, Aunt Lisa, you were really young. Or Tante Lisa, you were really young back then. <laughs> Have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye.